Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Your Ben Jarofsky show for this Tuesday, May 23rd starts now. On today's show, Ben welcomes back 25th Ward Alderman Byron Sigjo Lopez and advocate and activist Laureen Targos. Ben Jarofsky Show brought to you in part by SEIU Healthcare Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for everything there is to know in the city of Chicago, where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, and so much more. All the Ben Jarofsky stuff there. New newsletter from Ben Jarofsky. Make sure you check it out. ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. That's J-O-R-A. V is in victory. S-K-Y. Hello again, everybody. Ben Trotsky here. We're calling this School Politics Tuesday, and here's why. I'll tell you why over the weekend. I finally got around to reading uh, the Chicago Sun-Times WBEZ investigation into the closing of 50 schools, 50 public schools, uh, by Mayor Rahm Emanuel and Barbara Bird Bennett. Remember her, ladies and gentlemen? Barbara Bird Bennett, former uh, head of the Chicago Public School CEO. I believe she's done serving her time. Uh, she went to uh, prison for a, uh, a scam. Anyway, I didn't mean to go on that tangent. So anyway, it's a deep dive by the Chicago Sun-Times at WBZ. And I want to give them a shout out uh, for their uh, intrepid work. Sarah Karp, Alden Lowry, Nader Issa, and Lauren Fitzpatrick did a great job of assembling all kinds of facts and figures uh, about the school closings 10 years ago, ladies and gentlemen. How could it possibly be that 10 years have passed uh, since that moment? So what they took a look at uh, in their investigation is whether the uh, schools saved the money that they promised, whether they utilized the schools as they promised, uh, whether things are better for uh, students uh, like they promised it would be. In other words, were the school closings to the benefit of the citizens of Chicago, the students of Chicago, the taxpayers of Chicago, as Mayor Rahm uh, promised? Uh, and the answer, as largely I could tell, is no. <laughs> No, the students didn't benefit, the, the communities didn't benefit, uh, and the taxpayers didn't benefit. Oh, for three. That's zero, batting zero. That's a shooting percentage worse than the Boston Celtics have in the current playoffs. And uh, at one point, I cheered out loud. I read the following quote. The times have changed. This is a quote uh, in the, the article from Pedro Martinez, uh, who is currently the CEO at CPS. And I never thought I would see this quote come out of the mouth of a CPS CEO. And he says, quote, I strongly believe that the cost of closing schools in terms of the lost trust, the challenges of dealing with the facilities and moving children outweigh any benefits you get from them. Whoa. Outweigh the benefits. A CEO of CPS says closing schools outweighs the benefit. You couldn't find any CPS bureaucrat, leader, administrator who would say that back in the ROM days. 
I don't think you could find one who would say that in the Lori Lightfoot days or the daily days. And this brings me to the element uh, that is not discussed in these uh, articles, uh, which, but I am obsessed with, and that's the politics of schools. You cannot really, in my humble opinion, uh, divorce the closing of schools from the politics of schools. In my humble opinion, the Chicago public schools are a thing that mayors use to make themselves look better. This is the way it's been for as long as I can remember. I can remember for a long, long time, going back to the 80s. How can you use the schools to make the mayor look like our great leader who cares deeply about students and has some kind of magic formula that nobody else has to has to get students to perform better, to get teachers to work harder, to get principals to be more accountable. This is really a daily thing. Daily took control of the schools in 1995. My distinguished guests are waiting here. They were, I don't even know if they were following this stuff back then. That's how long ago we've been playing these political games in the city of Chicago. Some of the times, the only thing about good about being old, Laureen and Byron, is that you can remember this stuff. Daily took control of the schools in 1995, and it was like mainstream Chicago said, well, that's, thank God for that. The white man is in charge. He knows how to do things. And so what followed was a bunch of press releases emanating from the Board of Education explaining to the citizens of Chicago how much better students are doing, how much harder teachers are working, what a greater running system it is, how much, much Daly has improved it, improved it. Daily leaves, you figure, okay, it's completely improved. Thank God for that, huh? No, Rob comes in, he goes, the schools stink. I have to fix it. Wait, I thought Daly fixed it. I thought you spent the last 20 years telling us the great mayor of the city of Chicago fixed the public schools. No, Rom goes, what we need to do is close these schools. Now, Rom was a different kind of Democrat in many ways than Daly. I mean, they, they had a lot of similar parallels, but Rom had national ambitions. And clearly, he wanted to show the country that he was the kind of Democratic mayor who was unafraid to tell teachers' unions and teacher union leaders, I'm going to close your schools. I'm going to fire your staffers. I'm going to charterize, privatize the system, and you're going to shut up and take it. And he was going to tell that to the people of Chicago. I'm going to close your schools. And that was kind of like his calling card that was going to win him support among pundits for the New York Times and the Washington Post, other power leaders in the uh, Democratic Party. And in my humble opinion, that was the motivation for closing 50 schools. It wasn't to help children. It wasn't to save money. It wasn't to get teachers to be working more efficiently. It wasn't, in, in short, all the things they said it was. No, it was to make Rom look good. And of course, it backfired and made him look bad. He wasn't even in Chicago when they officially closed the schools. He was skiing. I believe he was skiing in Utah. You can look mm. it up, ladies and gentlemen. I believe mm. he was skiing in Utah. And he made Barbara Bird Bennett. Go out and announce, we finally decided to close 50 schools. That's bad. Go look it up. You can read it yourself, ladies and gentlemen. Close 50 schools. Now, it's interesting. As part of his investigation, uh, they reached out to Ron. The uh, Sun-Times WBZ could not, they could not locate him. He did not respond to their calls or their texts or their emails, whatever it is that they, however they tried to reach out to him. 
He, of course, is ambassador to Japan, so he's in Japan. So I couldn't reach him. What's interesting, <laughs> what's interesting is that right before this story dropped, or right around the time it was going to drop, the Sun-Times reached out to Rom to talk about some laboratory that the University of Chicago is going to create in conjunction with uh, some university in Japan. And Rom was supposedly the broker of that deal. Like it was like a, I think it's like a hundred million dollar deal, something like that, to build this laboratory research center at the University of Chicago. It's amazing. The Sun Times got a hold of Rom to promote that story, which, by the way, is not going to help one person in the city of Chicago. Sorry, University of Chicago. I know you're really happy with your laboratory there. You cut that deal with Rom and people in Japan. But I can't think of anybody in the city of Chicago, except for people who may work at the University of Chicago, who are going to be benefited, benefiting from that research facility in any way. People in the city of Chicago were impacted by Rom's decisions to close 50 schools. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. The Sun-Times was able to track Rom down, or Rom was made himself accessible to the Sun-Times when it was an opportunity to promote himself as our great leader who's still cutting deals on our behalf. But he was nowhere to be found. He was in the witness protection program with Danny Solis. <laughs> Just threw that name out there because of my next guest. And could not be defiled when it came to comment on closing the 50 schools. It's the politics of schools, ladies and gentlemen. It was going on then, and I think it's still going on now. All right, without further ado, I'm going to introduce my distinguished guest, the alderman of the 25th Ward, Byron Sixer Lopez, and his campaign manager and wife, uh, Laureen Targos, dear friends of the show, regulars on the show. It's been a while. Uh, and uh, Byron and Laureen, welcome back. Byron, before we uh, take the deep dive, any thoughts on closing 50 schools and Pedro Martinez, the comments from Pedro Martinez, which I almost fell out of my chair, maybe times have changed, uh, saying you can't see any benefit whatsoever to closing those schools. Take it away, Byron. Yeah, no, and thank you. Thank you, Ben. It's great seeing you, um, you and Chris. Um, well, a lot of it. I mean, I think what you mentioned in terms of the, we cannot separate the closings of the schools with the politics of, of the city, right? and the context that you provided. So immediately to mine, and as I mentioned to you over the weekend, you know, um, Karen Lewis comes to mind immediately, right? And the many people, you know, that that fought those politics to try to save the schools, right? Remember, during the Renaissance plan, there was about, what? If you had the 50, there was another 100 plus that they closed. So the attack on public education by these neoliberals was ferocious atrocious right and the worst part right is it came with the whole you know democratic machine right with it i mean talk about the whole you know crew right we took uh, you know talking from arnie duncan at the helmet of it right to talk about uh the and also how these plans were implemented in our communities remember juan rangel the politics of it who actually was not only the ceo running dozens of schools but he also had the time to be the campaign manager of Rahm Emanuel during his, you know, I think at least the re-election campaign, right? So that's how connected and how they implemented these disastrous experiments, because that's what they do. And University of Chicago is great at experimenting. They experimented in Chile. They experimented in the South Side of Chicago. But, you know, I think Karen Lewis used to say, you know, um, you know, 
I will, you know, and there was with some parents, you know, that will talk about, well, when they talk about charter schools, they say, well, how many charter schools you have in your community, you know, in the community with the University of Chicago and all that? Well, no, not many. Then was it good for us, right? But the charter schools, the privatization of, 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 and the school closures that are in line and in parallel, right, with the gentrification and displacement of neighborhoods, right? Because there was a whole plan that involved, you know, because a lot of these people in the board, right, many of those with conflict of interest, right? David Batali was a banker that, you know, was profiting from, from our neighborhoods in contracts and all sorts of deals. Not only Barbara Bennett was involved in corruption, but also the, 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 the last chief of CEO, um, Mr. Pedro Soto, I believe, that was also part of the FBI, uh, whole indictment of, of, of corruption and, the, and, and the, 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 the shameful role that public elected officials played in all that. Many of the MCOs who were sending, you know, selling bonds, remember at the time that there were people who were selling bonds to build new schools, right? And then when the whole thing about who were making those windows and the whole thing came out, right? Like the discarters and all these contractors. So you got the whole thing exposed, right? You know, and I go with the respect with, you know, some, some people, some reporters who are great are reporting some things, but not all of it, right? Because we got to connect the whole thing because what it was to oppose Rahm Emanuel and, uh, you know, at the time, you know, President Obama. I mean, what Karen Lewis did was transformational. She, it, it is, in my opinion, a before and an after Karen Lewis when she takes, you know, the presidency of the Chicago Teachers Union core and the whole grassroots education movement that starts questioning disclosures, right? There were gonna be 130 schools. We, many, unfortunately, close, but now when it takes us to this moment, Karen Lewis designs, designs and a strategy to fight these neoliberals, grassroots and in the electoral arena. She would have been no doubt the next mayor, she would have been the mayor of the city of Chicago. She wouldn't gotten tragically sick. But the, the courageous fight to support, you know, people like ourselves who were considered radicals, right? And, and basically, you know, <laughs> we still are, I guess, in, in the current conditions, but but Karen Lewis was a leader, I would say. She was a leader who understood the politics of it and the politics of her, and, and how school closures were linked to all these issues. She's credited with, in my opinion, having now the opportunity to fight back with the new mayor of the city of Chicago, who happened to be the one of the organizers that she entrusted with the strike back in 2013 to organize the schools and mobilize over 10,000 people in 2012. You know, I tell you, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Karen Lewis, right? And again, the support that provided, you know, to continue to organize in our communities. We did not have two school closures in our community, Pilsen Academy and Young One Elementary, because of the organizing one-on-one -on -one <laughs> that are, that Karen Lewis, you know, and the connection and respect the labor leaders built with community members and leaders to have the coalition that we see today. You know, and I think we got to honor and I, I appreciate us, of course, Stacey and Brandon's leadership to get us to this point. Right. But I tell you that Karen Lewis, you know, understood the politics of it, understood what it did to her kids when Uno was advertising bilingual yeah. services, yet not providing them. Right. And the full immersion programs, the ideology and the politics of it all exposed thanks to the organizing and the connections that we built at the time. Uh, just a little uh 
assistance for folks who may be new to Chicago, the Juan Rangel uh, that uh, Byron alluded to was the former uh, CEO of UNO uh, Charter School Network. Uh, and he was a close political ally of Daly and uh, Rahm. In fact, mm -hmm. when Karen Lewis led the teachers on strike, uh, Juan Rangel did a promotion uh, mm -hmm. on the street corner in downtown Chicago. Say, hey, our charter schools are open. So you mm -hmm. it was a ferocious attack. You know? uh, let's just undercut the teachers. Uh, that, thank you for giving the shout out to Karen. Uh, yeah, she she battled the school closings in real time. All right, uh, I didn't. I went on that tangent there about school closing. Laureen, before we get into uh, our current politics, anything you want to add about uh, the school closings? Some of those names that you both were mentioning sounded familiar in the donor list of our opponent here in the twenty fifth ward in twenty twenty three, and um, so you know the crooks are still out here, and they're continuing to try to deceive people. And it's very important for the future of the next generation and for ourselves to stay vigilant, stay organizing, and you know, recognize where the money is coming from and the crooks who are trying to steal from our children. And that's really what Karen, you know, she wasn't about saving the schools, it was about saving our children. You know, under Lori Lightfoot, we had 800 people unnecessarily dying a year totally preventable deaths, um, many of whom would have been prevented if, you know, Rahm Emanuel and this whole neoliberal colonialist, you know, effort didn't happen. And so, you know, now it's, now it's our opportunity to fix the problems that have caused so much generational suffering in our city. And um, it's really the people who, you know, were absolutely wrong about, you know, what they were publicly proclaiming back then when the school closings were, should, you know, take a moratorium on talking for maybe 10 years. <laughs> maybe they should shut up for 10 years, stop writing, sit in the back, and let the people who were right run things. Uh, well, maybe Ram has uh, taken your advice. He at least took a moratorium on participating in this article about uh, the school closings, but he the didn't cowards. go the next step and take Out a moratorium. Uh, uh, he didn't take a moratorium on articles that promote him. Okay. So uh, it's interesting. He picked and chose. All right, let's talk about your reelection. Uh, Byron and uh, Laureen, the last time you, uh, you were on the show uh, was right before the election. Uh, and my year was being filled with um, uh, the uh, the words and wisdoms of various pundits who told me there's no way Byron's going to win, no way Byron's going to win. Uh, it's He's offended so many people. He's irritated so many people. It, nobody likes him. Uh, the ward body doesn't have Chinatown anymore. They always give you credit, Laureen. It's so weird. Like, he won last time because his wife. You know, his wife's Chinese. Do you know that? People told me that, Laureen. His wife's Chinese. I'm not uh, even from Chinatown. It's a very, you know, it's a very tight knit community. Really, more like, you know, a credit to Nicole Lee. Like she's born and raised there. You know, but I'm I'm not born and raised in Chinatown. And I think I heard a rumor that I was from Bridgeport, and I was like, I guess that's beneficial. <laughs> yeah. Uh, wait, is is there any part of the 25th ward that's in Bridgeport right now? No, Bridgeport's still in the 11th ward. Okay. So, um, and yet. You won. Not only you, you won. What I forget. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but pretty decisively, fifty-five percent. Do I have that right? I think it was uh, 50, 53. 53, Okay, my bad. What happened? How'd you win? 
I'll, Laureen, you were the campaign manager. I'll start with you. And then uh, Byron, you add your two cents. Go. I think Byron's done an incredible job over the last four years clarifying to voters in the 25th Ward and voters in the city of Chicago what's at stake, why he's speaking up. There were opportunities where he could have been silent when they like when they demolished the Hilco smokestack and covered Little Village in that toxic dust and then we're continuing to do work and Lightfoot was refusing to care because she didn't care about our communities. Byron went and went up to her house and filled her with fury at, you know, I, I always said people hate, hated, oppressors hated Byron, oppressors and their puppets hated Byron because he acted like he's already free. And so when the mayor was going around and oppressing the people in his community, he said no and took action as if he were free and not a puppet who should fear a retaliation in the, in the form of a big at, a big pack coming to you know drown him in you know misinformation and lies for his campaign and fortunately the 25th ward voters enough of them have paid attention they can see through the smoke that's paid for by the people who are profiting from our exploitation and our oppression and enough of them came out to make sure that a crook didn't become in charge of the 25th ward again thankfully Byron, your thoughts? Yeah, I think, you know, we, and that's what I, you know, I, I, um, I bring up uh, Karen Lewis because, you know, I've seen political courage before. It's not that he's, you know, and, I've seen, and we have generations and ancestors that are courageous, you know, that have been courageous and continue to be courageous, wonderful people in our community, right? So those are people who have been fighting corruption. They've been really in the trenches, right? Um, you know, remember, you know, mothers, you know, parents, regular people doing extraordinary things, right? Um, to fight for schools, to fight for affordable housing. And, you know, I think that we show, despite of the quote-unquote guest of Dumpack, <laughs> you know, um, uh, continuous propaganda, and they got a lot of money for it. I think just, you know, raised this to spend over $600,000 just from the pack alone. Um, you know, and plus the, the other dirty money that, again, you know, ties to these uh, charter school contractors um, connected to the FOP, connected uh, to developers, corporations who see, right, the, 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 the fight and, and the fight for democracy, the fight uh, for self-determination, right, and the fight for a different city, a city that, you know, is free to talk about reparations, just as free that is talk, to talk about a welcoming city and a sanctuary city. And, um, you know, a city where we just beat the entrenched status quo and we know the task ahead. We know that is a huge responsibility. You know, I, I think like in Martin Luther King, you know, have said, and I think we talked about it Ben, before, you know, that, you know, we have some real hate here to overcome, right, in some parts of the city, right, that I think, um, you know, continue to, de to deal with these, you know, these fears, right, unreasonable fears, because that's what the election was all about, fear mongering, right? Oh, that I, you know, that we are against, uh, you know, safety. That we are, you know, against the police, right? Because we were talking about the white hatred, the white supremacist hate groups within the Chicago Police Department. In fact, today we just had a briefing, right, with the Southern Poverty Law Center, right, and the Inspector General, as well, COPA, the Civilian Oversight Police Accountability Office, as well as the newly elected. Empowering Communities for Public Safety Commission, right? At least seven members of them. So when we put the questions, right, fundamental questions for discussion, right, 
the counter-revolutionaries or the, the reactionaries, right? All they can find is not an argument, right? But it is distractions and attacks, right? To undermine even the character and make this a personal issue when this is a political issue, right? And we may not know these characters, you know, personally, but we know them historically, right? And I do think that there's so much fear in different parts of the city that we have to confront the ghosts of the past. They're not going to go away. History is not going away. The John Birch years are not going to go away. And these practices in the police department, you know, must change, right? And we were head on talking about public safety, but public safety that really reflects what is needed in the city of Chicago, right? And to reckon that the history of segregation and racism so that we can change our schools, we can change public housing and affordable housing, we can change access to healthcare. But again, we need to change the politics of it by changing the policy. And when we hit on issues, the status quo could not resist it, right? But to start attacking the character of the individual. Here was uh, Premier Gutierrez, uh, uh, Congressman Luis Gutierrez, talking about how cruel I was. Why? Because I was talking about corruption and I took all these guys all the way to the Supreme Court with my good friend Adolfo Mondragon. That's what this was about because my community is suffering from property tax increases that comes from these practices. And we took it head on and we developed, look, we done something that the guests have done pack because now we, now look, the new revenue plan includes what we were talking about. Well, it said Amazon tax, a corporate head tax, the RAM, you know, kind of uh, get, get rid of to benefit his uh, campaign donors. Yeah. Now we're talking about that. We talk about taxing the rich, maybe a guest of done tax. Right. So for the billionaires, instead of wasting their money in political, um, you know, campaigns that where they want to put puppets in the leaders so that they pay their first share and these arm dealers and developers stop creating the chaos that they have. But I tell you that I think that we seen what's possible because we're talking about the real issues. And now I think what we can expect is to bring more people to these conversations to really challenge this um, fear mongering and this, uh, you know, uh, demonization, right? Of also socialism, communism now, right? Whereas, yeah. you know, we've been back MacArthur, the MacArthur years, right? Or whatever they're doing. But I think that this is the time to be head on on issues. Well, Byron, the last time you we were on the show and uh, you were with Laureen as well, I think I told you this. I've told you this so many times, you're probably sick of hearing it, but I'm going to repeat it because this is a very important lesson, in my humble opinion, uh, for politics in Chicago. I call it the Helen Schiller lesson in, uh, out of respect for uh, older woman Helen Schiller from the 46th Ward, who was a radical back in the day of Daly, in the early days of Daly, before she said, out of hell with it. So I'm, <laughs> I'm going to make my peace with Daly. But he went after her two or three times, Byron. I told you this. I know I told you this. And she beat him each time. And you know why? Because in my humble opinion, as sheep-like as Chicagoans can be, and this is me speaking, not Byron, and not Laureen, as sheep-like as Chicagoans can be, they have respect for an alderman or an older woman who stands up to the man or the woman. And if you take strong stance uh, on the side, generally on the side of your community, they will reward you at the ballot box. That is my opinion about what Chicago voters, I'm always making fun of Chicago voters, Laureen and Byron. I always make fun of their choices, but in this one, I have to give them a shout out. I can't recall a lefty ever losing an election 
in the face of opposition from an all-powerful mayor. And that's why I always laugh at the the, the aldermen, Lorraine and Byron, to go, Ben, I can, I can only go so far, and I want to get the mayor mad. Why? <laughs> Helen won. Even Joe Moore, before he made his peace with Daly, he won. Byron won. You don't have to... You don't have to sell out your values. You take a strong stand. Just don't go against your people. That's That's the Ken Duncan mistake. When you go against your people, then you're vulnerable. You follow what I'm saying? So absolutely, absolutely. No, you're right. And the only thing that will add to that is that, you know, of course, an incredible campaign manager, right? You know, is you know the best strategist in town. I got to add that, right? And I think. That also be right. We gotta believe in people, right? That's the thing in our election, but also in the mayoral race, right? Which we we, we battle. I mean, the thing that would spend us just as here, like two to one, I think, it still didn't matter, right? So I think that this is a time to believe even more, not to, as unfortunately happens with uh, elected officials, instead of now don't fall asleep, but continue, right? Honoring those commitments, right? What life did, right? Of you know, right off the bat, went against every single. Remember those thief giveaways. The, the mental health clinics, the whole thing, right? Just thinking that they're here going to get the status quo behind her for what, right? I'm glad, you know, that we were, you know, that the city of Chicago spoke, and now I think we got to deliver for them. Yeah. By the way, I just also want to uh, give a shout out uh, Atolfo Mondragon, uh, Byron alluded to him, our, our good friend, the lawyer, who's on the show last week, dropped about 10 F-bombs in the first three minutes of the show byron <laughs> he he got byron to sign on to that lawsuit challenging uh da- danny solis uh, and ultimately really ed burke and michael madigan's uh using campaign money uh to uh for their criminal defense fund and uh that most pundits said that's the kiss of death you know for byron he put his name on that lawsuit <laughs> and he's still here and they're still not here all right. Uh, tomorrow, uh, we're doing this interview on a Tuesday. Uh, and tomorrow, Wednesday, uh, there'll be the first uh, city council meeting uh, under with the new mayor, Mayor Brandon Johnson. Uh, Carlos Ramirez Rose was on the show last week. He absolutely assured me that they have at least 25 votes. That's all it takes. At least 25 votes uh, to confirm the new arrangement in the city council of or, uh, committee chairs. And uh, so, Byron, uh, if that is true, then you will be uh, the chair of the housing committee, which is a stunning thought for me when I think that where you were four years ago, protesting in the streets of Chicago, uh, <laughs> you were the alderman elect. Uh, you were protesting a TIF designation for your ward, unheard of in the in the city. Uh, and uh, they voted for it anyway, the city council under Rahm. And now you're going to be charged with the housing committee. It just blows my mind. Uh, JT, Jenna Taylor will be education. Uh, and Carlos will be zoning. And Rosanna will be um, uh, health. I mean, these are lefties, folks, uh, in the city of Chicago. I just can't believe it. Do you share Carlos's confidence, Byron, that you got those 25? That's all you need is 20 because the mayor breaks the tie. So do you have the votes that it takes uh, to get uh, to confirm these chairs? Yes, no, I, I think that, you know, we're judging not only by conversations that we have had, you know, as, as a, the potential housing chair, you know, I did reach out uh, to the chair of the Block Caucus, uh, Alderman Irving, right, to ensure that we want to, we want to work, you know, to 
deliver for our communities who are being, you know, affected by disinvestment, disinvestment and the turn on public housing just as much as, you know, the the lack of affordable housing and, and social housing in general in the city. So I think that, you know, we are building uh, a coalition, you know, uh, I think um, Mayor Johnson won with over 80 percent of the vote in the black community. And I do think that he has, uh, you know, he has a mandate, but also the responsibility to deliver. You know, he's trusting us with key, you know, um, key committees because, you know, I do think that we we share the best interests of our constituents, right, ultimately, and that there's no fear, right, that that uh, that should uh, separate us when we are working in earnest. So I do believe that we have the, the votes, you know, tomorrow, and, you know, uh, there's going to be, of course, a lot of entrenched uh, institutions in between or goals and, and, and uh, the politics of the city. However, I do think that this is an unprecedented opportunity to transform the city and organize and bring more people, more democracy to institutions. And um, so I feel optimistic. All right. Uh, Mick Dumkey, my dear friend for Black Club, uh, he used to work with me at The Reader, just did a story about committees, uh, city council committees uh, that didn't meet in the last year or so. Uh, and so I, Love to get your thoughts on this, uh, Carlos. You're about to ha be the head of one of the most important committees uh, in the city of Chicago, the housing committee. Every housing deal that has any money, uh, public money attached to it, uh, or any tax credits or what have you, uh, that is uh, helps subsizing, goes through your committee. It's like the future of development in the city of Chicago is very much uh, discussed in the housing committee. Uh, key, very important committee. So I assume uh, that you will be having regular meetings, that you won't be one of these ghost committees that never meets. Is that correct? Well, that's 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 correct. And not only we will have regular meetings, but what we like is to bring all meetings to the people, right? We need, and we're talking today with some CHA, you know, advocates. So we want to listen from directly from, from our constituents, bring more people to hearings, bring more people. And I think, you know, I remember there was a, a good meeting on reparations um, that Alderman Sawyer, you know, early on in the administration with Life the Steel was sort of campaigning and, and pretending at least that she was caring. There obviously mean nothing transpired, but there was a whole reparations committee that was formed. And I think that we want to talk about the harm that was done, you know, in, in the black community by school closures, right? 90% of them were in black communities. It was tragic. 300,000 people were displaced uh, on top of the redlining and the racist policies of the past. So I think that we, we, we have the responsibility, right, to rebuild trust, right, with, and, and again, to honor the commitments and promises that the city made. You know, we just saw in, in an incredibly, you know, disappointed on uh, the deal in the Abla homes. I used to represent the Abla homes community. I have a commitment to the community uh, to honor the 3,000 units of public housing that was promised to them. I think that we need to start with honoring our promises. I would like, I've already reached out to several uh, other housing advocates to discuss and bring back the Harold Washington plan of housing, right, that, that had some similar goals. So there's a blueprint. We want to make sure that we bring these meetings and hearings with the people, hearing from CHA residents as well you know, as undocumented workers and other vulnerable communities, veterans, people with disabilities that are affected by the, you know, real criminal policies of selling SROs, for instance, to developers. You know, uh, I think that 
there's a lot of work to do. We have a deficit of 120,000 uh, units uh, of housing, public, affordable social housing, uh, you know, affordable permanent housing, co-ops, you name it. And I do think that it will require, you know, us to work, you know, together. Uh, I think that there has to be changes in leadership in CHA because we cannot continue to have these land grabs. We also got to talk about, you know, unconstitutional bans that we have allowed to happen, like the ban on rent control in Springfield. That has to be lifted so that we can discuss about ways uh, we can stabilize uh, rents and, and taxes in our communities. And that has to be linked to a, 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 a revenue plan that I think the mayor is right to push. Um, you know, we just mentioned this in, in an article with Cranks, and they accepted this. You know, we have people like Ken Griffin who had, you know, spent the $50 million to defeat the, you know, progressive income tax, only to then later to leave to Florida and now least comfortably, you know, in another state. I mean, this is the nonsense that we cannot allow anymore so that we can need revenue that comes from corporations and billionaires who obviously have a lot of money to go around, right? And they have to pay their first share. That's what we're talking about here. It has to be linked to a revenue plan that is sustainable. And I think that we cannot have like property taxes doubling or tripling overnight to displace communities like, you know, Pilsen Little Village, as we've seen also in black communities when they had destabilized communities by the redlining or school closures and so forth. And the creation of mental health clinics and the coordination between communities. So I tell you that we are ready, you know, to uh, work, right? And bring it to communities. We expect to always do changes, repurposing on sites in empty schools and so forth with the community in consultations with community on what are the local needs that have to be tied with larger needs. But I tell you, we not only will have regular meetings, but I think that we need to listen more to the current housing situation. We've been in a housing crisis for a long time. So we need to respond to tenant rights, homeowners, small homeowners who are affected by property taxes. In fact, we already talked to the Department of Housing about having these meetings, but we got to bring communities to listen to what the conditions are so that we can start investing in people. This is good for the economy. This was what's done, you know, in the Great, uh, great New Deal, yeah. where we invest in public works that are allowing our economy, our local economy to thrive instead of allowing corporations like Walmart to come, invest very little, receive tons of subsidies only to go and leave the city while we neglect our small businesses. So I think that we have a plan that will make sense because it will be more democratically and it will be thought for the well-being of Chicagoans, not for corporations and billionaires. I, um, you talked about property taxes as a force of gentrification. Uh, you're absolutely correct about that. Uh, I see it happening throughout the city for the last 40 years. It's really going to hit hard in your ward. Uh, it's already hitting hard in your ward. I don't know how we could stop that, uh, Byron and Orene, with the current tax system we have right now, where every three years is a reevaluation of property based on ha housing sales. Uh, and so then your property value, go, the assessment goes, your taxes goes up, even if your income hasn't gone up. It's a complete contradiction. Uh, and, and I don't know how, uh, Byron, even you as the chair of the housing committee, could change that, you know, could could put the skids on that kind of uh, gentrification without a dramatic change in how we assess property. And I don't see anybody talking about that uh, mm -hmm. uh, in the city of Chicago. Your thoughts? Well, I think, and I'm curious to see, you know, from uh, the organizing in chief, Lorreen, you know, what she thinks about that. But I do think like, you know, now if we have, we have, institutional power behind this, right? And we now have 
the housing committee discussing these matters, bringing the assessor's office, bringing our state officials and county officials, right? Because at the end of the day, they, I mean, the county commissioners, the people who have the ability to change, to listen and hear their constituents, right? And put on the forefront a platform that speaks to the needs of Chicagoans, not the developers that are benefiting by you know this structure so i do think that this is not all of it that's what i think we gotta work day in and day out because we also gotta stop these like i said practices of selling sros to developers and so forth and not being afraid like we done in the team in, in the team in peoria in pilsen when developers do not want to reach agreements you know eminent domain right i mean that's what happening in the team in peoria so that we can build the infrastructure that our communities need so i i do think that we have um, a mandate, you know, from people to address the housing crisis. And to do so, we need to bring, you know, all the stakeholders, including the private sector, to bring a stability, right, in our communities. But this is, you know, we're not going to talk about emergency shelters, you know, and see how the market is going to solve the problem. We got to, you know, there's, there's, there's an important role, you know, in the city that traditionally, you know, when SRO has been, been taking over by developers and some of the continues, right, to look the other way. So I think, and to this, I would like to add, that that's what, you know, the issue of corporation council. We need to have key appointments, right, that reflect those values and principles. This is, a, this is not going to change overnight, right? But I think those are the things that, in my opinion, have to be prioritized. We, like, we cannot allow, you know, billionaires to come and grab CHA land. We have so many critical needs, you know, for profit. So I think that this is a time to you know, reinvigorate our public institutions and bring more local hiring, more local talent to rebuild these departments. We cannot have in CHA, leadership does not believe in public housing. That's just not gonna work. So I think that is same thing with property taxes. We gotta bring our constituents to develop, you know, I tell you, TIF dollars. We just started a conversation about the two developers that got $2.3 billion, right? $2.3 billion for two <laughs> mega projects. And there was nothing radical at the time that I didn't hear one single, you know, those people who took the vote to call this radical. And I tell you, that's radically wrong. But I tell you, if we can use $2 billion or a billion to rebuild housing in the city of Chicago, I tell you there's a path. What we need, and to also protect naturally occurring affordable housing, but you're right, we need to protect the small homeowners from these structures, right? That it schemes, right? Where the elected official is also, happens to be the attorney, you know, the property tax attorney appeal guy. So. All these things need to be changed, and I think we're going to start having those conversations. Use the t the public dollars available, not for mega developers, but to address the housing crisis. So there's funds out there. We got to change the legislation, absolutely. But there is a path forward here. What we're not going to do is allow the market and the billionaires and developers to tell us how they're going to address the housing crisis because we already seen that picture, and it didn't work. All right, Lorian uh, Byron uh, alluded to the. Uh, the practical political uh, aspect of this, of like the property taxes soaring. And I know it's a big issue in the 25th Ward the, and your old uh, parts of the ward, Chinatown. It's a huge issue in Chinatown. Mm. A lot of displacement in Chinatown as well, uh, which comes again from our system of reassessing every three years based on price housing sales if housing sales go up and they've been going up your assessments going up whether you can pay for it or not is there any political will in your opinion Lorraine, to change this yeah there's definitely political will to stop basing our property taxes based on speculation 
you know, they're they're charging property taxes the same on a two neighboring buildings, one that's 120 years old, that's, you know, not in the greatest shape, and one next door that's four brand new condos that are going for a million each. How is that being assessed the same when one property is housing, you know, a multi-generational family, working class, and the other one is bringing in, you know, millions and millions of dollars? It's got to be based on ability to pay. It's got to be based on if the units are affordable, on, you know, what it provides to the city. And if you're benefiting more from, you know, high property sales, then you pay more. But I don't see why the abuela next door needs to pay higher just because someone bought next door and there is political willingness for that and we need to make sure you know i know this last election cycle people just seemed more tired than they were in 2019 of course we've been through traumatic world events and local events um and i just want to encourage folks to you know put their don't rest you know brandon needs us to keep fighting He's not going to tell us to, you know, put our arms down. Now we need to keep fighting. We see how the editorial boards at these corporate papers are going on the offense now, calling every little thing he does radical wide narrative that's going to paint anything he does for working people as radical when those people on the corporate boards are the radicals. They've allowed people to sleep in the streets like animals and they never gave a damn disgraceful disgraceful how, how do they sleep at night we're the ones who are humane they are inhumane and you know they need to go talk to their higher power because they're a disgrace and we're the ones who are right we were right about everything and now we're going to fight for a better city for working people because we're humane all right uh you mentioned uh the downtown uh editorial boards uh, they're part of what I call mainstream Chicago. Uh, and uh, yeah, mainstream Chicago is pretty united in terms of promoting the narrative that uh, this is a potentially frightening moment for the city of Chicago. Uh, the radicals are in charge. I, I, I just laugh like the stuff they put out about Carlos at zoning. Uh, <laughs> it's just hilarious because you would you think Shake of Air is in charge of zoning now. And uh <laughs> Uh, and, but they denounce, like, they'll say, you know, that, uh, Carlos, uh, has forced, I talked about this already, where he's, uh, like a teardown in his ward. The person who does the teardown has to pay a, uh, a, a fine or a fee to the city for the teardown. Yeah. And I go, well, that's, yeah, we have that. That's been a part of Rom and Daly's programs in the sit in the loop. It's, uh, when you up zone, you have to pay. Uh, most of them, they take the money, they do the upzoning and they make no promises whatsoever to have affordable housing in the project. So they have to pay a fee. And when Rahm and Daly do it, it's like a great public private partnership on display. And that's leadership, ladies and gentlemen. When Carlos, the lefty, does it in Logan Square, it's a radical socialist forcing developers to pay him like, guys, just at least be consistent in what you're right. Okay. If you're going to, you know, Pat Daly and Rom on the back for it. Pat uh, Carlos on the back. Boy, they're going to go after you, Byron, because you're even leftier than Carlos, in my humble opinion. I've had you both on the show. <laughs> uh, so is corporate Chicago or mainstream Chicago reaching out to you, Byron, since you it, 
the you were announced uh, as part of the reorganization, you're going to be charged of housing. Have you been getting calls from developers? Have you been getting calls from uh, you know bankers saying, you know, Byron, you may we may have misunderstood you, or you may have misunderstood us. Let's go have uh, lunch in Chinatown, like you had with that weirdo on the on the podcast. Oh, actually, it was dinner we had in Chinatown. But uh, have have you had any overtures like that? Well, we we coincided with some some of the private private sector groups in the in the transition team, right? Um, and you know what what we have always said, right? Is we want to discuss these issues publicly, openly, right? We're always ready to have a conversation and compromise. It's been the corporations who are never willing to be in comp- to compromise, right? We cannot even in, let's let's remember even before we introduced bills the past in in in, in committee for discussion they already set them to rules and kill them before we can even have a conversation. So I think that the the conversation is are they are these entities vested in the success of the city of Chicago? Because I tell you I have plenty of small businesses and teachers and working people who are vested. Many of them stay when the corporations leave and pack when it's quote unquote not profitable. So we are of course, you know, open to have that conversation. And I do think, like I said, that there is, you know, I mean, when we talk about investing in our communities, right? I see it as a positive. I think the mayor has been clear, right? Mayor Johnson has talked about being the investor in chief, right? So I think that these fears, right? This fear mongering about all oh, the doomsday. Remember, and I was one of the co-chairs of the Affordable Requirement Ordinance uh, Task Force, right? When and, and even though I voted against it, there was some progress made when we doubled the minimum from 10% to 20%. And I remember the other side of the table was already doomsday because it was proposed right off the bat and that I was going to destroy the whole development in the city of Chicago. Now everybody's praising it and say there was best practices and that we should have done it sooner, right? So I don't believe in the fear mongering because I think people have, I mean, I think the, the Bible has a great, you know, way of doing it, you know, you know, bless are those who, you know, don't have to see it to believe it, right? But most people have to see it to believe it. And I tell you that people have not seen what we can do yet. So as I said, don't be afraid of something that we don't see yet. But I tell you that the promise of listening, to really listen and to work with the community and bring more people to city council was done 40 years ago. So I think that there's a blueprint of some of it. And I think people, I think you know, and, and I think it was a great tragedy, the loss of Mayor Harold Washington, right? We could see more of it, but we saw the cooptation. I would be more afraid of going back to those those times of, of, of the dictators, right? Where, you know, people will be um, uh, brutalized and interrogated and, and, and evidence being fabricated. Those are the times that I would be more afraid of, right? And when uh, uh, communities were almost erased from from uh, from more communities by the CHA land grabs and the privatization and the teardowns. Because before that, there was community, right? Mm-hmm. And I tell you that we are talking about rebuilding and building com- a new Chicago with our community. So no one should be afraid of that. I think the private sector is great of, of you know, uh, throw, throw, you know, sounding the alarm for these public works, but I will wish that they will also sound the alarm with this corruption when there's like the atrocities, you know, of zoning chairs exchanging favors, you know, for Viagra pills, because that's what it was in the past. I think that we have a new chair in zoning that I think will be accountable to the people. 
I think that we'll have chairs that will be accountable to the people. And I don't think there should be any fear. And I think if we cannot defend this in the public eye, I think that there's something that they're hiding, perhaps. And I think that our community, every time the pr projects are presented in the open, I tell you, the projects have just gotten better and better when there's public scrutiny. I'm afraid of going back of the past of, you know, police brutality, disinvestment. Where's the last four years of life? But we know because I, I didn't think we could have go even farther down the road. But I think that the city can see transformation. And we'll ask is that we will be out there, right? And the and the, as the mayor says, the, the table is, is big enough for everybody. All right. Uh, speaking of the table being big enough for everybody, we'll close with the asylum seekers uh, conversation. I believe the table is big enough in the city of Chicago for us to uh, welcome asylum seekers to the city. Uh, I personally believe this is just me speaking that we should celebrate it. Uh, I would go so far as to say thank you, uh, uh, Governor Abbott of Texas. I know your intentions are not noble, uh, but uh, our city welcomes uh, these asylum seekers. Uh, the, the, I already saw an article today in the paper, Lorena Byro, uh, Byron, where the public schools are anticipating more children uh, because of the asylum seekers coming here. So for years we've been complaining about losing children in the public schools, and that means there's more because we that means less state funding. So we're getting more <laughs> children, which means more state funding, and they're complaining. Powers that be are complaining. The city. Uh, Byron and Lorene, uh, do you share my optimism that there's room in Chicago for asylum seekers, or do you think I'm being too naive? We'll start with you, Byron. Yes, you know, and look, we're being a port of entry, like I tell you, communities like Pilsen Little Village for generations, right? Um, I think that we have an, a, a unique opportunity, you know, uh, in the city to organize around issues that are common in our communities, like the issue of housing, right? You know, because for instance, homelessness disproportionately affects the black community, right? We're not talking about that. You know, the lack of public housing, the school closures have affected tremendously the black community. And now we see, you know, a crisis right in front of our eyes when we see children outside, you know, in, in, in front of us in police districts and so forth. So I do think that this is an opportunity for us to transform the city in a new framework, right? Because we got to talk about reparations just as much as we talk about the, the, the definition of a sanctuary city, right? But we need to do both in parallel. We got to talk about the teardowns of public housing just as the amount that we have deemed the teardown of entire countries, right? In 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 uh, um, in light of, of uh, I think, very, um, I think the right word is the fascist regimes, right? That's what we gotta call it. And this and the same fascism, right, that we've seen played out in you know countries like Chile, right? Because let's remember some of these right-wing supremacist right supremacist groups believe in that approach. I mean, they have praised Pinochet, you know, the the old keepers of the Proud Boys, you know. So we've seen that what it plays out in our community. Now all these, you know, um the the roosters have come home to, you know. I think that we are now in a situation where we cannot avoid the international situation, right? What, what is driving people to come to the border? What are the root causes, just like violence? So we gotta talk about violence locally, but also we gotta talk about now violence globally as well. So, and then we're gonna find that the same reactionaries and the counter-revolutionaries mm -hmm. 
are the people who are running these international policies, and they continue to run many of these laws, law enforcement institutions, right? So I think that we're going to find a lot more in common than what we think, and that what happened here in Chicago and those neoliberal and these real, you know, real reactionary uh, decisions that really cause tremendous trauma and and displacement in places like Chile or, you know, in Bolivia or Guatemala or Mexico, you name it. Some of the same forces were experimenting also here in the city of Chicago. So I feel that we will see a lot more in common than what we think. And I think that the framework of Malcolm X is very relevant about the human rights framework with international solidarity in mind. The same thing that Fred Hampton and many others said. And I think that we have the opportunity to show the country, right, a different way of implementing public policy. But we got to reckon with the past locally and internationally. And I think at the extent that we do that and we're able to foster that discussion, right, of what we need to invest and those reparations that are done in our communities and developing sanctuary cities, I think can be a new day, right, and maybe a blueprint, right, that will start addressing the, the ills of the country and hopefully find a more peaceful world you know i think that it's a big dream but if like martin luther king said if it can be done in chicago and these are very prophetic words it can be done anywhere in the world and yeah. i truly believe that coming from the global south that and you're seeing the the hate that we are up against man but if we can do it here in chicago i believe that this can be a very powerful very powerful moment in history yeah uh, uh, Dr. King came to Chicago in '66 and tried to do, try to do it here. They threw a rock, hit him in the head, uh, and did everything they could to kick him out of town. Lorene, your thoughts on this? Is there room, in your opinion, in Chicago for asylum seekers? There is room, and you know, this is Biden is still digging up fossil fuels here. So, um, you know, Chicago is going to have to think about where it's going to be 10, 20, 30 years from now when. People are fleeing nonstop fires out west, floods out east. You know, Paul Vallis really was salivating at the mouth at being a place that could be sold for top dollar when people have nowhere to go. He's the guy who charges 50 bucks a bottle of water when, you know, Katrina happened. And so, you know, what's going to, what's, what's Chicago going to look like when people are, People are rushing here. We need to be ready for the reality that millennials and Generation Z are going to deal with a massive global migration crisis that the world has never seen as a result of these fascistic fossil fuel policies that are still running the show because of these horrible people in our federal government and um, on both parties. And so right now is a great dry run for how to welcome people, how to build community, how to have international solidarity, how to recognize that a soul is a soul, a person is a person, and to refuse to dehumanize anybody and start that now so that we can have peace as we go forward and not what Paul Vallis wants, what these war profiteers want, which is to profit off of conflict, profits off of bloodshed, that doesn't need to happen. There's enough for everybody. The earth has the abundance to support all these people. We need to stop these fossil fuel people. We need to stop these warmongers who are 
have been spilling blood in the streets all over the world, making mothers cry for what? For a few extra emeralds in their pockets and to boast about AI? We want to be flowers in a field and be free. And we can be there. Lauren Targos uh, is not just the campaign manager uh, for Byron Six Show, not just uh, as if that's not enough, but she's also a scientist. We didn't talk about this because before the show, uh, Lauren said, "Ah, there's not that much, a lot lot to talk about with the EPA right now, although I I, uh, actually think there is. But I mean, there is, but it's like, you know. Well, I know. I understand. Brandon's but, mayor. Yay. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> Let's talk about local issues today, but uh, everything's global and local at the same time. Uh, mm-hmm. And Lorene is a scientist for the EPA uh, and a union activist. And yes, she is the badass who stood up uh, to Trump's EPA. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's how I first met her. Uh, actually, I wrote an article about it. So, uh, yeah, well put. I do believe there's way. And I'll tell you what, Lorene, I told you beforehand uh, Mag is trying to take advantage of this in the city of Chicago. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vivek um, uh, Ra- Ramaswamy, uh, who's running for president uh, on the Republican side. Ramana Hussein, I forgot to send you that article. I wish I had done that. Great column by Ramana Hussein in the Chicago Sun-Times. Urge everyone to read it about his venture to South Shore to try to uh, exploit uh, the tensions uh, in there over using South Shore High School, the old South Shore High School. Uh, as a center for the asylum seekers, horrible turnout for him. Like nobody showed up. Uh, I, I think they're trying to um, create uh, tensions, stir up tensions, and create an issue that doesn't really exist. And listen, anytime the city of Chicago wants to s- start spending its economic development dollars uh, in communities like South Shore. Uh, I'm, I say, take them from your old neck of the South Loop, Byron, where you used to be the alderman. They kicked you out because they didn't want you anywhere near those big time developments. <laughs> <laughs> take them from the South Loop. Take them from the West Loop. You can take them from Lincoln Park and spend them in South Shore. But don't blame asylum seekers because the city of Chicago, often with the blessing of many aldermen on the South Side of Chicago, has been spending monies intended for poor neighborhoods in rich neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm talking, not Laureen and Byron. But I, I find that one just really remarkable that all of a sudden MAGA cares about what economic development dollars being spent in South Shore and Southside neighborhoods, and they were missing an action. Although I could have used an ally on the right, uh, you know, all those years fighting the city and how it spends TIF dollars in rich neighborhoods. So, uh, Lorraine, I think it's hypocritical and outrageous what this uh, young man, Vivek Ramaswamy, is trying to do. He's the 38-year-old mega gazillionaire who made his fortune in tech, and now he's just trying to rewrite history to get himself elected president or probably to be Donald Trump's running mate. Uh, Fascist love to, you know, exploit our weaknesses as a community, as a society, and so... Our weakness is that, you know, we allow corporations to dehumanize and divide us. And I'm glad no one showed up to his talk. And, you know, we need to continue to see the humanity in each other and refuse to allow them to pitch us against each other because they're 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 stealing the abundance of the earth from all of us. And we need to get it back. Yeah. And by the way, spend that tip dollars down on South Shore. You heard it. You could go ahead. Come on, Mayor Mayor Brandon Johnson, redistribute the tip dollars. That's a great idea to start with. All right, Byron, thank you so much. Lorene, thank you so much. Best of luck to you, Byron. 
going for us. You're going to chair. You're going to have that gavel. You're going to get smacked that gavel, just like Lori Lightfoot. <laughs> we will not be turning off mics, though. We okay. Not... <laughs> I'm going to hold you to that. If you don't turn off Ray Lowe's mic, okay? He shows up. He's got a right to speak just like anybody else. If the Palatino shows up, don't turn off his mic, okay? My my guy, Nick Spasato, shows up. Don't turn off his mic. He'll run out of gas sooner enough. You know, get tired of talking. All right. Thank you very much, Byron. And thank you very much, Lorraine. Appreciate you coming on the show. All right. Thank you, man. Thank, thank you, Ben and Chris. All right. I uh, also want to thank producer Chris. Outstanding job as he always does. And I think Lorreen and Byron will agree with me when I say, producer Chris, give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. Peace and love, everybody. And remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows, Benny J bonus interviews, and so much more, all at chicagoreader.com. Follow The Ben Jarofsky Show on Instagram at Benny J Show and all over the internet on your favorite streaming and podcasting platforms.